0: Well, we come this morning to our last sermon in the series, What's Next? And I'm going to ask you to help me review. We have said that we live in a certain age at this time. What is it called? Just call it out. The church age. What ends the church age? The rapture of the church ends the church age. Seven years of activity ensues. What is going on in heaven during the seven years? The Bema. Other name for Bema? Judgment seat of Christ, valuation of believers. What is going on in that time period of seven years on earth? Tribulation. What happens next? The second coming of Christ. How is the second coming of Christ different than the rapture? Just call it out. Jesus will touch the earth. Thank you, Crystal, in the second coming. Paul? Give an earth a thumbs up. Right, after the second coming, what happens? A thousand years, what do we call it? Who rules earth? Where's Satan? Bound in the pit, praise the Lord. After a thousand years, Jesus releases Satan to show that on a level playing field, Jesus wins. Jesus summons Satan. Judgment, fire from heaven, all of the human opponents who sided with Satan are burned and killed. Satan is put into the lake of fire. And what happens after that final battle? There's a judgment. What is it called? The great white, the great white throne judgment. Who appears before Christ in the great white throne judgment? All the unsaved, all those who have rejected Christ in all the epics and eras of human history. I hope none of you... We'll be in that line at the great white throne judgment. You can avoid that by trusting Jesus to be your Savior now. After the great white throne judgment is the new heaven and the new earth, and that goes on for how long? Forever. Good. You've learned by, with God's help, you have learned. Last Sunday, we looked at Revelation chapter 21 and a message on heaven, what the chapter told us about heaven, and just a whirlwind review of some of what we saw last week from Revelation 21. We saw that the book of Revelation as a whole mentions heaven 54 times. We noted that the word new for the new heaven and the new earth is Greek, kinos, which means new in quality, better, and perfect. The new earth will be better in quality than the current earth. You like this earth? You haven't seen anything yet. The new heaven will be better and perfect in quality compared to the perfect heaven that your loved ones are enjoying now who passed on with Christ. Heaven is going to essentially be God with us, Emmanuel, and it's going to be us with God. That's enough. Heaven's capital city will be huge. It will be the new Jerusalem. It will either be in the configuration of a pyramid or a cube. This new city, the capital city of the new heaven will be 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles tall. That will be either a cube or that will be a a pyramid. I can't be emphatic. Heaven will be a gated community, but all of the gates of heaven will always be open because there'll never, ever even be one threat against God or his people in heaven. Heaven will be dazzling. It will have transparent gold, diamonds, and colorful gemstones, There'll be no need in heaven for a temple or the sun or the moon or the stars. There'll be no national borders in the new heaven and the new earth. There'll be one redeemed people, and that people will have constant access to enter the New Jerusalem capital city to bring honor and glory to God." We talked about Steve Green's song, Heaven, and its lyric, Heaven is my passion and prize the goal on which I firmly fix my eyes, reward of the faithful, desire of the wise. Heaven is my passion and prize. Trust it is for you today, believer. So chapter 22 tells us more about heaven, and I'm going to read several verses. I'm not going to read all the verses in the chapter and stop as I need to to make some comments. Let's start with chapter 22, verse 1, in the first half of 2. And he showed me... A river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life. I'm going to stop at the comma. We saw last time in chapter 21 that there'll no longer be any sea, S-E-A, so enjoy the beauties of the sea uh, here in the Bahamas now. There'll be no longer be any sea, but there will be a river, a river of water of life in heaven. It will be a wonderful, clear river, and it will flow from God's throne down the middle of heaven's capital city's main street. This river is literal, but it also symbolizes the continual flow of eternal life from God's throne to heaven's citizens. Notice, please, that both God the Father and God the Son will reign over heaven from the actual throne. The second part of verse 2. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You know, I've heard it said, I may have even said it in the past, there'll be no time in heaven. That's not accurate. There will be time in heaven. There's months. There will be months in heaven. But the thing is, there'll be unlimited time in heaven. (laughs) There will be months, but there'll be endless months. This tree of life will bear fruit, a different fruit for every month as time passes in heaven. And this tree of life, we've met this tree of life earlier in God's word in Genesis 3, and you'll remember that after Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and fell into sin and ushered in sickness and toil and death and pain, then God did not want them to eat from the tree of life that was equally in the Garden of Eden. And in chapter 3 of Genesis 22 through 24, it says this. This is after the fall. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out And at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So the tree of life became a threat to Adam and Eve once they fell into sin and were estranged from God by their sins. And if they had eaten of the tree of life in that state of alienation from God, it would have been perpetuated forever. And God, in his great love and mercy for Adam and Eve as sinners, did not want them to eat of the tree of life and be forever estranged from God. So he drove them, he pushed them out of the garden. And just in case they doubled back and did a U-turn and got back in the garden and ate of the tree of life, God stationed in mercy an angel a cherubim with a flaming sword that went in all directions outside of the garden on the east side to prevent them from coming back and eating of the tree of life after they had fallen into rebellious sin. Isn't that a merciful God? And you are here this morning and I am here this morning and we are sinners and God in his mercy has made provision for us in the cross of Jesus. God is not willing that any would perish but that all would come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. I hope that's you. I don't presume it's all of us. I can't. I hope it's you, that you've trusted Jesus. And so this tree of life was a danger to people who had fallen into sin in Eden, but in stark, wonderful contrast, the tree of life will show up in the new heaven and the new earth, and it will not be a danger there. It'll be a therapy, a therapy to all the persons whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life and will live for Christ and with Christ forever and eternity. This wonderful tree of life in future heaven will be rather remarkable. It will bear perpetual fruit, differing fruit, and the full gamut of its fruit will be for the well-being of heaven's populace. The Greek word here behind the healing literally means health-giving. This tree of life that God will provide for the new heaven will give us health for all of eternity. Verses 3 and 4. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Think of it, no more curse. We live under the curse of sin right now, no more curse, no more fall or sin or death, but only joyful service to the Lord, face-to-face fellowship with our God, which isn't entirely possible right now in these unglorified bodies. Remember, Moses asked to see God, and God hid him in the cleft of the rock in Exodus 33 and only let his hinder back parts pass by Moses because if God's frontal parts, his consuming holiness, had been viewed by Moses, he would have been killed. But one day we'll be glorified, made to be like Jesus, and we'll be able to have face-to-face intimacy, worship, love, service to our Savior. Amazing. Amazing. Now, something very important as we move into the epilogue of the whole book of Revelation, verse six through the end of the chapter is the epilogue of the whole book. But the first verse in the epilogue, verse six, is very important. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. Who is being shown this? Specifically, bondservants. Bond servants are not first appearing here in the last book of Revelation. Bond servants, I hope you remember, was at the very front door of the book of the Revelation. In chapter 1 of Revelation, chapter 1, verse one, first verse, right out of the gate, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his bond servants the things which must shortly take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bond servant, John. The book of Revelation is not for everyone. I have met many Christians over my years of being a pastor who say, I can't understand the book of Revelation. I say, are you a bondservant of Christ? If you're not a bondservant of Christ, you won't understand Revelation. John had to be a bondservant to get the Revelation, and we who would read it later must be bondservants of Christ Understand it. Are you a bond servant of Christ? You say, Pastor Rob, what is a bond servant of Christ? A bond servant of Christ is not merely a born again Christian. There are plenty of born again Christians who are not bond servants of Christ. A bond servant of Christ has presented his or her body as a living sacrifice to God. In Romans 12 1 and 2, I urge you, therefore, brethren, Christians, by the mercies of God, watch, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Have you done that, Christian? Can you look to a time in your life since you trusted Jesus to be your Savior that you have consciously, decidedly, determinedly, clearly presented your body as a living sacrifice to Christ? If you don't know, then you haven't. When you've done it, you know it. The person who presents, the Christian who presents his or her body as a living sacrifice to Christ says, my life with all its potential, with all its giftings, with all its talents, with all its strength, my life is a blank check, Jesus. You fill it out how you want it paid. You want me to go there, I'll go there. You you want me to uh, stop dating the guy who's not a Christian, I'll stop dating the guy who's not a Christian. You want me to stay in a rough marriage? Then you'll stay in a rough marriage. You want me to give to this church, even though it's scary to give when you don't know if you'll make your rent? Then give to the church if Jesus tells you to give. A bondservant of Christ obeys Christ, no matter what, any place, anywhere, anytime. Christ says, jump, we just say, how high? Are you a bondservant of Christ? You could be this morning. You could say, I'm presenting my body as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. It says, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. I've told you before, when I wrestled with these verses in 1981 at Word of Life Bible Institute, I had it backwards. I thought that I would say to God, you show me your will for me, and if I think it's good, acceptable, and perfect, I'll present my body as a living sacrifice. Mm. That's wrong. It's just the reverse. God wants us to present our body as a living sacrifice first, and when we do that, then we will judge his good, perfect, and acceptable will for us to be good, acceptable, and perfect in our estimation. If we're waiting to see it as good, acceptable, and perfect before we become a bondservant, we won't see it that way. We'll see God's will as a 30-day, no-risk-involved eBay purchase. God, show me your will. If I like it, I'll do it. If I don't like it, I won't do it. That's not presenting your body a living sacrifice, and that's not being a bondservant. And now this concept of being a bondservant is key in the book of Revelation. I showed you that there it is in one in that God revealed the book of Revelation for his bondservants to a bondservant named John, but then at the end of the book, here in the epilogue, in verse 3 of 22, there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and there it is again, his bondservant shall serve him. We're all going to be bondservants in heaven. Why not be a bondservant on earth before you get to heaven? And then verse 6, And he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show, here it is, his bondservants, the things which must shortly take place. You know, in Bible lists, everything's important. Every word of Scripture is important, as Pastor Nicholas pointed out with the memorization of Romans 1 through 8. But in a list in Scripture, what is emphasized is the first item in the list and the last item in the list. The things in between are important, but God emphasizes what's first in a list of things and then what's last in a list of things. It's like this. When JD watched our house and we were away, we told him something like this. We said, son, feed the dog, sweep the floor, wash the dishes, make your bed, feed the dog, feed the dog. We were concerned he wasn't going to feed the dog, so we told him at the head of the list, "Feed the dog." We went through all the other things he was doing at the end twice. We said, "Feed the dog, feed the dog." God says, "Bond servant." <laughs> then he gives all the revelation at the end of the epilogue. He said, "Bond servant, bond servant." The emphasis of the book of Revelation is being a bondservant now and being a bondservant forever. Verse 6, And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. It is the same God, of course, who inspired the Old Testament prophets to write Old Testament Scripture, is the same God that inspired the Apostle John to write the book of the Revelation. And in this fact, I see very clearly that the book of Revelation needs to have a futuristic interpretation. I am not comfortable with Bible commentators and interpreters that have a backward focus on human history and the things they see in the book of Revelation, they only see historically completed things and they plug it into Revelation. There are some historically completed things that are plugged to plug in the book of Revelation, but the basic viewpoint, the outlook of the book of Revelation is not backward into human history that's already happened. It's forward into human history that's not yet happened. And so... The book of Revelation deals with events yet future, and it does so with a trustworthiness and with true specifics. And the book of Revelation is not some incomprehensible mystery. When you are a bond servant of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within you, the book of Revelation is comprehensible so you can understand God's will and. God's plan for the future. Of course, the book of Revelation does have symbols and they must be recognized, but they ought not to cause us to give up on normal Bible observation, interpretation, and application. The staples of Bible study we use for other books of God's word. Verse seven And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. The NASB properly translates the word quickly. Other versions, like the New International Version, render the same word soon. The actual Greek word means both soon and suddenly. Soon and suddenly. Jesus saying, I'm coming soon, and when I do, I'll come suddenly. It's like if you have a cataract surgery planned for Tuesday coming, And you say, hey, I have a cataract surgery coming on this Tuesday. You're saying, I'm going to have my cataract surgery soon in just two days. But it's also true, cataract surgery happens suddenly. (laughs) You're not under the laser very long at all before that old cataract is gone. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. And Jesus said, when I do, it'll be sudden. Very early in the book of Revelation, God promised a special blessing to those who would read the book and pay attention to what it teaches. And in Revelation 1, 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. Isn't that great and gracious of God? He says, if we will read the book of Revelation, which we've done, if we will hear the book of Revelation, which we've done, If we will heed the book of Revelation, that's yet to be determined if we'll heed the book of Revelation. That's a single Christian-by-Christian vote. I can't vote to do that in your life. You can't vote to do that in my life. We vote for our own lives as to whether we'll heed the book of Revelation or we don't. But if we will read the book of Revelation, if we will heed the book of Revelation, if we will hear the book of Revelation, rather, and heed it, then we will be blessed. Now, this book's conclusion repeats that blessing that was first stated in 1, verse 3. 22, verse 7, please. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. So again, heeding the words is important. Now, verses 8 and 9. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, do not do that, for I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren, the prophets, and those who heed the words of this book, worship God. Earlier in the book of Revelation, when the vision was being unfolded to John, he did the same thing. He tried to worship the angel, and the angel rejected the worship. And here again, John hasn't learned his lesson. He bows down to worship the angel who's giving him the vision, and the angel says, I'm not accepting this. I reject the worship that you are giving to me. I'm an angel. Anybody worship you? Don't dismiss that question so fast. Does anybody worship you? If they do, tell them to stop and to redirect their worship to God. Now, verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Imminent is the word that any time now Christ could return for the church in the rapture. And John, accordingly, was instructed not to seal up or close the book he was writing of Revelation. You know, we had a friend in Canada, the church I pastored up there, who was an emergency room nurse. And she was a no nonsense woman. And I once heard Dorothy say this You know, anybody can cook. If you can read, you can cook. She meant that if you could read a cookbook, then you could cook. And there have been times my wife's a great cook and sometimes she tries new recipes to see if we will like them. And sometimes when she needs to, she has a cookbook out and she has it propped up and she has a recipe. And she keeps it open and propped up so she can read the recipe until she's finished preparing the new dish. How many ingredients to put in, what ingredients to put in, and what measurement, how to cook it, for how long, at what temperature. She doesn't close the recipe book when she's cooking a recipe she's never done before. She needs the book. Because of the imminence the imminency of Christ's soon return, we dare not close the book of Revelation. And so after we're finished this sermon and we finish this series and we finish the book of Revelation for today, don't just shut it up and forget it. Consult the book of Revelation when you watch our news or read the paper. Well, back in Daniel twelve nine, I won't read it, uh, the, Michael the archangel told Daniel to Uh, Go away, for these words are concealed and sealed until the end time. Back in Daniel's time, close the book about the future. Here in Revelation, open the book and leave it open. (laughs) That means that AD 90, when the book of Revelation was given, we've been end times ever since AD 90. Now, the words of the prophecy of the book of Revelation are telling. The book of Revelation's warnings are destiny shaping. Listen to John MacArthur's Commentary on verse 11, I quote Those who reject God's warnings herein will fix their eternal destinies in hell, where they will retain their evil and filthy natures for all eternity. Those who respond to these warnings will fix their eternal destinies in glory and realize perfect righteousness and holiness in heaven. End of quote. Let the listener beware. Let the listener beware. Let the listener beware. In verses 12 to 16, we go on. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, and the immoral persons, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star." Lot in these verses, Jesus repeats his promise that his return for us is imminent, it's an any time now return, and Jesus promises to carry with him rewards when he does return. Notice, according to verse 14, that the Lord Jesus Christ strongly assures that the cleansing from sin, eternal life, and well-being, and entrance into heaven are all wrapped up in his blood. Not in giving to the poor, there's nothing wrong with giving to the poor. Not with joining this church, there's nothing wrong with joining this church. Not in being baptized, there's nothing wrong with being baptized. Not in trying to do good, there's nothing wrong with trying to do good. But cleansing from sin, eternal life and well-being and entry into heaven are all wrapped up in the shed blood of Christ. That's verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. In verse 15, we see that being outside of Christ's blood means being outside of God's heaven. You run across someone who says they're okay with God, but they don't believe in the blood. They're not okay with God. It's only by the blood. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. Not everybody goes to heaven. According to verse 15, being outside of Christ's blood means being outside of God's heaven. Not everybody goes to heaven. In verse 16, the Lord Jesus reminds us that he is a human descendant of David. Therefore, he is the legitimate Messiah. He is Jewish in his humanity, but more specifically, he is in the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David. And he himself, Christ, is the dawning of a whole new day. Commencing with his second coming and continuing with his millennial kingdom and culminating in his never-ending new heaven and new earth, Jesus is the dawning of a whole new day. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star, the dawning of a brand new day. Verse 16 is not saying that the book of Revelation should be limited to Christians. It is saying that believers of all people should hear and heed the book of Revelation first. This writing pertains to the church of Jesus Christ first. 16, and I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. Verse 17 Watch the expectancy of Christ's return in 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. In this verse, the Spirit, of course, is the Holy Spirit, and he longs for Christ to come back. And the bride in this verse is the church of the church age, and we long for Christ to come back. And the Him who hears of this verse is anyone who responds to the gospel by believing in Christ for salvation. These converts long for Christ to come back. In verse 17b, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. I never thought I would see the day when I would pay far more per gallon for drinking water than I would for gasoline. But we do way more. I never thought I'd see that day. But here is water in heaven that you don't have to pay for, because Jesus paid for it. Take the water of life without cost. Are you thirsty today, running in all directions, making ends meet, stressed? Are you unsettled? You just never really relax. You never really sit down and think about things that matter. Are you unsatisfied? You've got the car you needed. You've got the fence around your home you wanted. You've had the children God's given you, but you're unsatisfied. You know there's more. Could it be that you know the language of the church, but not the Lord of the church? Could it be that you've never come to the living water of Jesus? Heaven isn't for everyone. And for those who are thirsty in the sound of my voice, those who are unsettled in the sound of my voice, those who are not at rest in the sound of my voice, those who are unsatisfied with life in the sound of my voice, come to Christ. Your husband can't do it for you. Your wife can't do it for you. Your Grammy can't do it for you. Your Sunday school can't do it for you. Your pastor can't do it for you. No one can do it for you. Person who comes to the river of life without cost understands that sin put Jesus on the cross, and it was one's own sin that did so. And the person who comes to Christ recognizes that Jesus did not die as a victim, but Jesus died as a volunteer of love, loving, that person who's praying enough that Jesus died in their place, the death that they deserved, to give the believer in Jesus the life they can never get without Jesus. Is that you? God is not hearing and God does not have a poor memory. And if you've transferred your trust to Christ alone, you don't have to do it over and over again, but maybe you've never done it. And coming into this church no more makes you a Christian than going into a garage makes you a mechanic. Come to Christ. He's the only satisfaction and peace you can have in earth. Admit you're a sinner. Trust him and only him to make you new from the inside out, to change you completely. As my mother says, to cry over what she used to laugh over and to laugh over that for which she used to cry. God can make you new. Don't dismiss, overlook. Delay, procrastinate about the warnings of the book of Revelation because not everybody goes to heaven. There's a long line at the great white throne judgment. Don't be in it. And what a beautiful invitation this is. Come, verse 17, and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Will you notice As I read verses 18 and 19, who invites? And I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. God wants no one to tamper with the book of Revelation, and because the book of Revelation, by design, is the last of the 66 books, God wants no one to tamper with any other part of the Bible either, not to add anything to the Scriptures nor to take anything away from the Scriptures. So God helped Mary Baker Eddy. God helped the Jehovah's Witnesses. God helped the Book of Mormon. God assumes in verses 18 and 19, that true believers would never dare to tamper with the book of Revelation or the Bible. These verses assume that only an unbeliever in Christ would do such a thing. God is the judge. Verses 20 and 21, last two verses of the book and the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. It's the third time now the Lord Jesus emphasizes that he's coming any time now. We dare not ignore three times that Christ has warned us and promised to us he's coming any time now. He may come before the benediction in this service. He may come before Monday morning work for you. He may come at any time now. And what should our response be? (laughs) Amen. Let it be so. Come, Lord Jesus. Not, well, I have this thing to save up for. I really wish I could finish college first. I really was hoping to get married. No, come, come on, Lord, please. Sooner the better. And verse 21 is the benediction of the book. The last verse and the last verse of the Bible And it's simply this, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with God's people, amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, who are God's people, amen. And of course, it is the grace of the Lord Jesus we need to be saved. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus that keeps us safely saved. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus that chips off everything that doesn't look like Jesus while we're on earth. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus that takes us across the Jordan River when we die. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus that catches us up in the rapture of the church alive. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus that makes us fit for heaven. It's all grace. (laughs) It's all grace. And so our response to the imminent return of Jesus Amen, let it be so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people, amen. Will you stand with me, please? We are standing because it is a posture of response. We are standing because we want to get off the dime We're standing because we understand we've been called to action, not cerebral knowledge. We've been called to change. We've been called to obey. Some of us have been very clearly called in this message to be bondservants of Christ. Do it. You're standing before God. Do it. Others of us are bondservants. May we ratify that decision as we stand before God in these precious moments. I made myself a living sacrifice. I want to stay on the altar. Problems with living sacrifices is they crawl off the altar sometimes. say you? Some of us are standing because God has called you to trust Christ to be your Savior. You've been riding on the coattails of your spouse, hoping that they'll get you to heaven. They won't. We're standing because we're going to respond to Christ if we never trust him to be our Savior. We're going to say, yes, Lord Jesus, you're the only way, the truth, and the life. I trust you. Not my good efforts. I trust you. We're standing to be ready to respond. Spirit of God, brood over this precious people, including me. Show us what you want us to do. May we not hold back in doing it. While we remain in a posture of prayer, I want to close with a Puritan prayer that's found in the Valley of Vision, which is the compendium of Puritan prayers, I commend to you. This is a Puritan prayer. O my Lord, may I arrive where means of grace cease, and I need no more to fast, pray, weep, watch, be tempted, attend preaching and sacrament where nothing defiles, where is no grief, sorrow, sin, death, separation, tears, pale face, languid body, aching joints, feeble infancy, decrepit age, peccant humors, pining sickness, gripping fears, consuming cares, where personal completeness, where the more perfect the sight, the more beautiful the object, the more perfect the appetite, the sweeter the food, the more musical the ear, the more pleasant the melody, The more complete the soul, the more happy its joys. Where is full knowledge of thee? Here I am, an ant, and as I view a nest of ants, thou, so dost thou view me and my fellow creatures. But as an ant knows not me, my nature, my thoughts, so here I cannot know thee clearly. But there I shall be near thee, dwell with my family, stand in thy presence chamber, be an heir of thy kingdom as the spouse of Christ, as a member of his body, one with him who is with thee, and exercise all my powers of body and soul in the enjoyment of thee. Thank you, Lord, for such prospects. We pray in Jesus, the Lord of the church, the captain of our salvation's name, amen.